everybody. Thank you for joining us today. This is Sharing Sweat Equity, a business podcast with your El Paso Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. We are so excited to be back home in our brand new studio, our Sun Carpet Studio. And our first two episodes were actually on the road in Austin. So it's good to be back home. And our special guest for this episode is Representative Cesar Blanco. So thank you for joining us today, Representative. Thanks, Michelle. It's great to be with you. You are our first guest in our new studio. Very nice. <laughs> We're very excited to, to be able to have you here and, and um, get to test this out with you. Well, I, hope I, uh, I hope I do okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we are now in the 86th legislative session. How's it going? <laughs> it's, uh, it's going uh, very well, actually. I think, um, you know, coming off of last legislative session, there were a lot of very divisive, hot topic um, issues that, that came before us that I think created a lot of frustration, um, and then, you know, some damaged relationships. But this session's a lot different, and I think uh, both the uh, governor, lieutenant governor, and the and third, the Speaker of the House, have really set a good tone. Um, and I think the idea is that they, we begin to look at issues that we really want to tackle, school finance uh, being a huge priority, um, property tax reform mm -hmm. and relief is the uh, second item, and then a variety of other items, including human trafficking um, and uh, school safety. So I think we're really focusing on things that Texans really care about rather than things that could potentially divide Texans. So um, the, the session has been very good. Uh, we've got a very strong delegation um, and uh, we're excited to, to roll up our sleeves and get to work. I think the, the El Paso delegation, uh, we're, we're really focused on results for our community and results for our state overall. And I think that uh, this is the type of session that we're looking forward to to, to get to work. And I think, you know, when we talked with Representative Moody, I talked to him a little bit about how great it is to see our delegation that works so closely together. And I think you miss that a lot with other delegations. You know, when when we're competing with huge cities that have huge delegations such as Dallas or Houston or even San Antonio, we have to work together. There, there are only five of us um, in the House and then, of course, our senator. And it's important that there's strong collaboration. It's important that we utilize our strengths, uh, that we utilize the various relationships that we have both uh, across the aisle uh, with our Republican friends as well as our own Democratic caucus. So um, this delegation values that. And uh, we're stronger. We're stronger five. And, and Speaker Bonin has repeatedly said, uh, he had mentioned that uh, uh, last week uh, in El Paso days that this delegation has the reputation of being a very strong delegation because we get along because uh, we work together so we're, we're excited I think it's a new chapter in, in, in the political history at least at the state level mm -hmm. for El Paso and a chapter that I hope lasts for quite some time that, that we continue to work hard focus on our work not focus on uh, politics or um, anything that would distract us from uh, delivering to our community. So we're excited about it. So you were talking about working together and really being a strong representation of El Paso. And unfortunately, in the news recently, El Paso has been 
the spotlight of discussions about our safety. Um, and you recently filed a bill regarding the Department of Public Safety and a report on border crime and other criminal activity related to border security. So can you tell us a little bit more about that bill and what would that would hopefully accomplish in dispelling these theories that El Paso is in some way unsafe? Sure, well, you know, when politicians use not just El Paso, but McAllen and Brownsville and Eagle Pass and Del Rio Presidio, um, when they use our communities as political punching bags, that hurts our economy. That hurts um, when we are trying to recruit doctors to come and move to our community because we are uh, a medically underserved community. When we're trying to uh, bring business to our community and they do a Google search and they see that um, a president is here having a rally saying to build a wall because it's unsafe, uh, those aren't good messages for our community. So uh, we have to push back on that. Uh, El Paso and border security has uh, been in the news quite a bit. Um, and this is not a new thing. We, this is something that we've been challenged with, with with quite some time, at least this narrative. Um, so um, I filed a, a bill regarding the Department of Public Safety because that's what we and the state have jurisdiction over. Um, and it creates a report on border crime uh, and other criminal activity related to border security. Um, so uh, what this does is, is um, I think that accountability for state spending on, on border security uh, uh, is long overdue. I've been talking about this for quite some time. Uh, over, the, over the past few years, Texas has poured an unprecedented amount of uh, taxpayer dollars uh, into border security for a crisis that really doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. There is a humanitarian crisis that I agree with. Uh, we do have families coming, seeking asylum, but they're running to the Border Patrol. They're not running away from the Border Patrol. They're coming to our ports of entry and seeking asylum. And over the past four years, uh, the Texas legislature has appropriated $1.4 billion to DPS alone. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and DPS has a responsibility to um, provide us factual information, to provide us data on exactly what they're using that money for and how it's being spent, and more importantly, how effective uh, those funds uh, are, are being used and what those outcomes are. Uh, and I think that uh, Texans, El Pasoans especially, since it's in our community and along the border, deserve to know exactly how their taxpayer dollar is being spent um, and what that return on that investment is. Um, recently, the Sunset Advisory Commission, which is a, a nonpartisan agency uh, that does full reviews of our state agencies every 10 years, uh, did a full mm -hmm. review on DPS uh, uh, functions on the border as it relates to border security. Um, and it concluded that DPS uh, border security data uh, collection is really lacking, uh, unfortunately. So based on those Sunset Advisory uh, Commission recommendations, which again is nonpartisan, they take a very objective approach to, to studying this stuff, um, I filed HB 264 that would require, uh, HB meaning mm -hmm. House Bill 264, would, that would require DPS to improve its reporting on uh, the border so that we as lawmakers um, and so that the public can get a better sense of what we're spending the dollars on and what we're getting from it. Um, I think accountability and increased reporting uh, and metrics only helps us make better informed decisions on border security. Um, so I think it's important that we continue to do that. 
And I mean, talking about having metrics and things like that to show businesses specifically, it's just funny that we're talking about this right now because we were meeting with some of our board members and they were telling us about businesses from across the country that are interested in coming to El Paso, but not even just that, businesses from Mexico that are interested in opening up operations in El Paso, but they hear the same things, that El Paso is unsafe, so they go to San Antonio or Houston and we're losing out on those opportunities to really grow the tax base here in El Paso and bring in new businesses. Right, you have, you know, when you have people um, asking um, El Pasoans, you know, what's it like? Are you all okay down there? Um, um, it's, um, you know, I think uh, it, well, for us as, uh, you know, fronterizos, we're like, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> I go to Starbucks, uh, yeah. <laughs> plus, and I get, you know, a, a coffee and, and I sit outside and it's fine. We're safe. We're not. Uh, I mean, not, the most uh, dangerous thing is you're going to get stuck in traffic and have to slam on your brakes and spill your Starbucks all over you. Exactly. Know? exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's it's this uh, idea that we're a war zone, this idea or this narrative that's being projected that that is completely false and it's a challenge we have to fight against that and uh we have to to make sure that uh we're telling our story the way we know it mm-hmm. uh the el paso and the frontera that we know it it's a bi- binational community it's bicultural it's bilingual um it's got all the buys in it <laughs> <laughs> which is good right it's, right it's, it's important um so you know um it, it's a challenge but we've got to overcome that and, and i think this bill addresses that it demonstrates that we need to make sure that we're accountable with taxpayer dollars, and if the data demonstrates that uh, that we're safe, okay. Uh, but we'll, you know, we need to make sure they work with these agencies coming. So talking about the border and making sure that we are knowing where our tax dollars are going and that they are actually being used successfully, you also introduced a bill that would create a border traffic web portal. And I can't tell you how many businesses that I hear from that are constantly complaining about the traffic at the ports of entry and how nothing has really improved and there's no way of tracking that. And it's really a burden on them trying to engage in cross-border trade. So can you tell us a little bit about that, Bill? Sure, you know, this is this is in response to the business community. Um, I've heard um, from uh, the variety of chambers and organizations that, that this is a huge problem for us. Uh, it required security inspections and increased truck traffic at our U.S.-Mexico border crossings uh, really create a delay. Um, I've been on the ports of entry coming back from Juarez and I see how, you know, it, it could take a long time mm-hmm. to, to come across. Um, and some of these delays that are really disruptive and costly um, to manufacturers, to shippers, to um, suppliers, uh, and ultimately it's a cost to our consumers. Um, and not consumers just in, Tex- in El Paso mm-hmm. or in Texas, but throughout the country. Um, so this bill, which is House Bill 260, uh, aims to reduce co- cross-border delays by creating a web-based platform, uh, which would provide real-time information on traffic conditions and border wait times. Uh, this platform would develop would be developed through a partnership between Texas A&M uh, Transportation Institute, which does amazing work and right. does a lot of uh, uh, studies, and and they look into this these transportation issues. <coughs> But it's also a partnership with the Texas Department of Transportation. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, with sufficient and accurate information, shippers and carriers and people that are doing business, cross-border uh, business can build in a buffer time uh, for some of the shipments to, to um, you know, and to take other steps to adjust 
the minimization of, of those delays. Um, so um, this is a, a very pro-business, pro-border trade uh, or cross-border traffic right. bill that I think is going to uh, serve as a tool to help us uh, get more trade across faster and quicker and, and with more efficiency. So one of, besides cross-border trade and trying to manage through traffic on both sides of the border and then getting across the border, one of the other chief complaints that we hear from our business members are about a lack of talent availability. You also filed a bill relating to student loan default and the non-renewal of some professional and occupational licenses. What kinds of licenses do you see are currently affected? What is the rationale behind revoking these licenses due to student loan default? Variety of folks. Um, current Texas law provides obstacles and barriers uh, to individuals who have licenses in the mm -hmm. state and have defaulted um, uh, in loans. Currently, it affects people like nurses. It affects people like dentists, um, lawyers, engineers, teachers, plumbers, cosmetologists, electricians. So many uh, professions um, and jobs that require Texas licensures. Back when this bill or this law passed, um, the original intent for refusing to renew or revoking a license was to incentivize individuals um, to really pay back their student loans. Mm -hmm. um, though, though this practice brings attention to the individual who is in default and loan, uh, borrowers um, are in a worse situation uh, because now they're losing their license and how are they gonna work to pay right. back their student loans, right? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. To, We've seen the data, 56% of Texans have student loan debt. Um, and in 2017, as many as uh, 4,000 Texans risked uh, losing their professional license due to a default loan. Um, I think this is outdated policy. I've, uh, the Texas Tribune and a variety of other um, newspapers have written the, the stories of teachers who have lost their uh, license and they'll receive a, a phone call from their school administration saying, Hey, listen. Uh, something's up with your license. Um, you know, you need to check in with the, with the state licensing mm -hmm. uh, entity. And and while they do that, um, there was a story about uh, an individual who's a teacher who's a department chair at school lost that that position as chair as they were trying to figure out exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. um, in the meantime, the teacher has to pay, uh, you know, mortgage or rent, make a car payment. Mm -hmm. Uh, provide food for their family, et cetera. So it, you know, it, this this is a a it's kind of a backward way of trying to get people to pay on their debt. Now it's important that folks pay their school loans, mm -hmm. obviously, but we can't set up barriers through state law that doesn't allow them to be uh, active participants and working and productive individuals in our community and and, and make a paycheck doing so. So um, you know this um, this bill, um, I think fixes that situation. Uh, the current policy that punishes people who are in default on loans is outdated and, uh, and I think it hurts the people of Texas. So this bill um, eliminates that barrier and helps them get on a, on a plan and, and uh, doesn't allow them to lose their license. But the exciting thing about this is that it's a bipartisan thing. So we, I actually laid out this bill this week and uh, myself, uh, State Representative Ana Hernandez from, mm -hmm. from Houston and, and uh, uh, Republican State Representative uh, uh, Matt Krause. We have pretty much identical bills. So there's a lot of uh, support from both sides of the aisle 
uh, to get this fixed because I think both whether you're a Democrat or Republican, I think it doesn't yeah. matter. I mean, we, we want to make sure that people have their licenses and they get back to work and pay their pay their school loans. And I think Democrat or Republican, you know, somebody who is burdened with student loan debt who is struggling to make those payments and to take away their ability to actually work and make that paycheck really just does them a disservice and they're not going to be able to pay back the loan anyways. Totally. And then there's a ripple effect, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so what happens to those kids in that classroom with that teacher, right? Like, so that teacher is taken out of the classroom and then the kids are like, okay, now, so now we have a bunch of substitutes for a while. Mm -hmm. It's going to affect the educational outcome of the kids. What happens to the physician who loses the license because of student loan and there's a backload of patients who need to, you know, to receive to care? Mm -hmm. What happens to the nurses or the nurse practitioners that uh, are seeing patients day in and day out that lose their license? I mean, so it, it has a ripple effect on our community and our economy. Um, it's just kind of a backward loan. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're changing that. Uh, hopefully uh, we can get this bill passed so folks can, can continue to, to work and at the same time earn an income to support their families and pay their debt. So one of the other hot button issues that we see coming up is cybersecurity. Uh, the Hispanic Chamber has recently had a few workshops uh, to help our members understand cybersecurity a little bit better. Uh, last year we had AT&T in here uh, talking about what they're doing with cybersecurity. What can you tell us about the two bills that you filed in relation to cybersecurity and uh, cyber attacks that the government's been facing? and? and uh, small businesses and big businesses alike are also facing. Sure, so um, the one of the, the first bill I'm gonna talk about is House Bill um, 350, and it deals with the composition of the Cybersecurity Council that we have um, in the state um, that falls within the Department of Information Resources. Um, um, it is made up of public and private sector leaders and cybersecurity practitioners, folks that are in cybersecurity day in and day out, to collaborate on matters of cybersecurity concerning the state of Texas. Um, this council is tasked with um, ensuring that the critical infrastructure within our state and sensitive information are protected uh, and developing strategies to make sure that improve that our state cybersecurity posture is, is, is a, good, a good posture. Um, We've seen that uh, uh, we've had um, election systems that have been targeted by cybersecurity attacks in recent years. Um, that's kind of an example of, of what we're dealing with. But really, uh, cybersecurity is really something that, that is, is a huge threat, not only to business, but to security and to a variety of things. I spent uh, many years uh, when I served in the military. Um, my second job uh, in the military um, after I did air defense was um, military intelligence and a lot of this had to deal with cybersecurity mm -hmm. um, and we have to the, 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 the new battleground is really through the internet um, and I know there's a lot of it's been a lot of discussion about Huawei um, in China mm -hmm. who is looking to provide um, you know internet access accessibility around the world and when the US has been uh, uh, dominated quite a, quite a bit if you have access to our computers and, and, and a foreign state or hackers have access to our, our internet and to our systems, they could take out electrical grids, they could take out water systems, they could take mm -hmm. out security systems, et cetera, which is, is really bad. Right. Um, so I think protecting our state election systems from rapidly, um, or any agency from rapid, rapidly uh, evolving cyber threats I think requires a multifaceted approach. Um, so my bill would add employees 
um, specifically to the elections divisions of the Secretary of State Office to, to the Texas Security Council um, in order to improve the state's um, election security posture. The other bill that I have is House Bill 351, uh, and it deals with emergency management for cyber uh, attacks against our state, like mm -hmm. I just uh, outlined right now. And, and I think that, uh, uh, as mentioned before, uh, cybersecurity continues to increase uh, in terms of, of being a threat that could be very costly for the state of Texas and for our communities. Due to that damage, uh, cost, uh, and rapidly evolving cyber threats, cyber attacks should be included as an explicit event uh, that would qualify as a disaster mm -hmm. uh, because it, it, it really is a disaster. Yeah, I mean, it really could be. Yeah. They could take millions of billions of dollars out of the state, and um, you're right, it absolutely could be an, a just, disaster. Just like a flood um, can paralyze a community, just like a storm, a hurricane could paralyze a community, a cybersecurity attack can do the same uh, for us. So my bill would, would um, create a would, would allow communities to qualify a cybersecurity attack as a disaster so that then they're eligible for disaster declaration, uh, which brings in a whole other set of resources. Um, so it would add the language, this bill would add the language, uh, quote, cyber attack uh, to the emergency management chapter of the, of the government code, uh, and it would provide clear authority for, for um, emergency responders and the, the appropriate type of emergency response to a cyber attack to protect the government, to uh, protect uh, businesses in Texas, and then ultimately to protect uh, the citizens of Texas from a cyber attack. So one of the other things that we wanted to talk to you about was before you had been on the Veterans Commission and working a lot with veterans. And so I noticed that you filed a bill regarding some of those fines and fees for veteran-owned businesses and also small businesses in general, and that's one of the top concerns of small businesses at a local, state, federal level, is rules, regulations, fines, and penalties. So can you talk a little bit about HB 1923 and 1924? Absolutely. So, um, you know, uh, as a veteran, I don't own a small business, um, but um, in government I've seen a lot of and heard a lot of concerns about um, small business uh, owners that uh, that are veterans mm -hmm. and small businesses are all often confronted with um, higher indirect costs and, and burdens um, under newly passed regulations uh, in the state um, they're unli unlikely to have a compliance team okay. uh, it's expensive to have a, to hire a team mm -hmm. that understands this um, uh, they often don't have the resources to ensure that they're complying uh, with like, new regulations mm -hmm. and, and therefore avoiding uh, that would help them avoid penalties and fines. Um, so House Bill 1924 would allow a small business the opportunity to remedy um, a violation of a, a, of a regulation before a penalty or a fine could be assessed against them. It gives them a little more flexibility. It gives business a little more flexibility to, to, to self-correct, right. uh, so to speak. So uh, in, in essence, this would, would protect small businesses from uh, potentially detrimental fines that could hurt them, right, mm -hmm. um, if they remedy the violation quickly. The other bill, uh, House Bill 1923, would exempt businesses that are at least 51% veteran-owned from the franchise tax uh, for an initial five-year period. Uh, existing law exempts businesses that are 100% veteran-owned, mm -hmm. but as we know in El Paso, uh, there are a lot of 
better known businesses that are a husband and wife team or yeah. you know or, or two business partners one's veteran and one's not uh, so other state and federal programs which include programs for for businesses owned by women and minorities have 51 percent uh, ownership requirement to qualify for a franchise tax exemption and uh, 1923 would bring veteran owned businesses in line with other programs or uh, requirements to ensure equality uh, to sure making sure that veterans and veteran owned businesses uh, have opportunities as well. Uh, additionally, these exemptions are set to expire in, in 2020. Uh, so this bill would extend that franchise mm -hmm. tax exemption for veteran-owned businesses until 2022. Uh, and it would allow for additional outreach to the veteran community with uh, the ultimate goal of increasing the number of veteran-owned businesses uh, here in El Paso and, and in the state. Yeah, I mean, hopefully you would see veterans who maybe weren't stationed at Fort Bliss or Fort Hood, but in other parts of the country wanting to come into Texas and start their business because they do have this opportunity. And I think anything that gives small businesses that little bit of wiggle room, especially when it comes to fines and penalties, is very important because a lot of people don't realize that they face fines and penalties at a local level, a state level, and a federal level. And all of those things can add up and they can put somebody out of business. Right. And, and look, we uh, I'm not saying that uh, most of the, most of the businesses out there are not bad actors, right? And many times they make mistakes. Uh, and and you're absolutely right. There's so many levels <laughs> of penalties that could affect them. But at the end of the day, uh, individuals that are starting businesses or have a small business are good actors. Um, this gives them a little bit of flexibility to to self correct um, and to be able to 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 move on. I mean, we all make mistakes, right? Yeah. God knows I make mine, <laughs> and often. <laughs> But you know, uh, this gives them an opportunity to to, to self-correct and and uh, not necessarily be penalized so so harshly. So I'm sure that our members and I know the chamber will be watching those uh, bills make it through very closely. Great. Um, so at the beginning of our discussion, we talked a little bit about last session and some of the tension that was there because of things like the bathroom bill or sanctuary cities. And the tension last year spilled over onto the House floor during a rather infamous physical altercation. And we won't get into that. What I want to talk about is how does this feel, this session feel compared to last session? We've heard from Senator Rodriguez and Representative Moody. And I think during our trip to Austin, we could feel this greater sense of harmony at the state level. So I just wanted to get your feedback on that. Yeah, I think. Um this session is is I, I'm very optimistic um, that I think we'll be able to minimize the partisanship uh, in, in the House at least, mm -hmm. um, and I think it's uh, important that we get to the issues affecting everyday Texans. Uh, I think that's what people send us in office to do. They're, they they want to make sure that we're solving real problems, um, and I think that uh, this session the leadership uh, is working together on priorities. I mean the governor, lieutenant governor as well as the Speaker of the House. Uh, the Speaker, uh, the Lieutenant Governor, and the Governor have all affirmed uh, their dedication to the same list of priorities. I mean, school finance, mm -hmm. property tax reform, school safety, um, uh, eliminating traffic, uh, human trafficking, um, addressing maternal mortality. These are all issues that are huge for the state that we should be tackling instead of focusing on things like bathroom bills and who can be in the bathroom and who can't be in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Things that hurt communities and immigrant communities such as sanctuary cities uh, or show me your paper uh, bills uh, that passed last legislative session. 
uh, I think the lo the legislature le legislature will be focusing on on issues that are important in Texas, and I think uh, that's that's a positive thing. Um, so I'm very optimistic. Um, you know, I make it a point to go um, uh, to my Republican colleagues on the other mm -hmm. side of the aisle and say, "Hey, what are you doing for dinner tonight?" Well, let's go, let's go. You know, get a group of us. Uh, Democrats and Republicans, and let's sit down, let's go break bread. Um, we can't live by the rules uh, that we often see at the national level, mm -hmm. where they can't pass budgets, where they can't, uh, you, know, the, you know, the president is not on the same page with their own part, with his own party. Um, you know, th there's a variety of things that, that um, could divide, but I think the Texas legislature at least this session is is on the right track, and myself and uh, members of our delegation are making sure that we're building those relationships across the aisle so that we're working with each other. Because at the end of the day, we all need each other. Mm -hmm. uh, we all have uh, ideas of how to improve our state. We may have different ways, uh, different ideas on how to improve our state, but the common thread is imp improving our state, and I think that's where the uh, that's where the magic happens. That's where. Um, we can come together and making sure that uh, we're doing right by our state. Well, I mean, I think that we hope to see this level of bipartisanship that we've seen at the state level. And I think that Texas doesn't get enough credit for being bipartisan in the way that our legislature works. And hopefully the national government can, can uh, model themselves after you yeah. guys. And the next time we're in Austin, maybe we'll see um, a Democrat-Republican karaoke battle or something. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah. the first on the list would be something from Juan Gabriel, right? There we go. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, look, I would say 90-plus percent of the stuff that passes in the House and the Senate are bipartisan. Um, it's the small stuff that gets all the coverage mm -hmm. um, that, uh, you know, that, that unfortunately is the focus. But look, uh, we're all human beings. We all just want to get to a good place. And uh, just because you're an R or a D, that doesn't matter. Uh, we, we need to, to, to work together to make sure that, uh, that we're improving our state. So yeah, I think, uh, I think Washington can learn a lot. Um, and uh, I'm excited that uh, our Congresswoman Veronica Scolette is doing a great job and, and uh, tackling a lot of issues and being very productive. So hope is on the horizon. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Representative Blanco. It's always a pleasure to have you here and to talk with us. Um, this has been Sharing Your Sweat Equity, and we are signing off. We will be back next week with a different non-political podcast focusing on growing your business and some of the challenges that businesses face. Thank you all for joining us, and thank you, Representative Blanco.